3: Good morning and welcome to the line here on Heritage Radio. My guest today is Justin Bezderek, chef and co owner of Speedy Romeo, a wood fired restaurant serving pizza, grilled meats, and fish located in Brooklyn. They also have a location in Manhattan. He attended the French Culinary Institute and then began working for Jean Georges. He rose to the level of CDC within the restaurant group and then became a chef trainer, helping to launch multiple restaurants all around the world, taking him to far off locations like Istanbul and Qatar. Speedy Romeo has been included on the Michelin Guide's Bib Gourmand list, and they will soon be opening up a new restaurant that hopefully we can talk about in Brooklyn. Justin,
4: welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here.
3: So congratulations on the Bib Gourmand. You worked at jean George, which is obviously a, a, you were in that restaurant group, which has some very high-end properties. Uh, We're sitting about 100 feet from Blanca, a two Michelin star restaurant. I'm curious, do you care about Michelin stars? At this point in your career, what do you feel about them?
4: Oh gosh, do I care about Michelin stars? I mean, I was it's funny every year when the Michelin guide comes out, I get anxious that we're going to get on the Bib Gourmand list or not and um, you know, last week when the list came out, I was just like shaking in my boots when I saw the eater you know, and I started to read the, the little, you know, the list of who was on it. And, you know, I kind of scrolled super slow, like to the S category. And I'm like, Oh, thank God. Um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that. I think that's a very cool thing to be on. Um, you know, it means a lot to our guys and myself. Um, you know, I'd, you know, of course, when I'd I'd had a Michelin star when I was a chef at Perry street and a lot of those recipes were mine when we had that star. And so I was very proud of that. And so of course, when I opened speedy Romeo, I was like, well, we're going to be the first pizza place to get a Michelin star. Um, you know, which is not the case. I know there's so many rules and, um, you know, criteria that you need to hit to get that star. But, um, you know, that's sort of how we treat the kitchen. You know, we treat it as, um, you know, trying to buy in the best product we can and, Um, you know, making sure that each pizza or dish we serve is seasoned to, you know, our utmost standards. And, you know, I think from that and continuing to produce that food is what keeps us on that bib gourmand list. It
3: is an interesting kind of dynamic, though, because it seems like maybe in New York City, it is incredibly difficult to get that Michelin star if you don't have the white tablecloth. And there are very few restaurants that have sort of a a casual service style that have a, a Michelin star but it is also there isn't like you can't go to a website and look at the 100 criteria for nailing that star it's sort of this secret back room type of uh, like you don't even know who the inspectors are they're totally anonymous so um, when you were at Perry Street did you have an inkling that you were gonna that you would that you would get one were you were you thinking that there were specific things that you had learned in John George that you thought like these are the absolute important necessary steps that we need to take in order to get the star.
4: I mean for for me when I was the chef there it was you know what I'd learned right before working at that restaurant was how to create a recipe. Um and so that came with just you know eating all around the world with Jean George or at, in at that time in restaurants in New York City um and then preparing the dishes that I served at John George before I worked at Perry Street. And with that, it was, you know, making sure that, um, you know, making sure that every recipe that I created had all of these flavor elements that made John George's food so exciting. You know, so, you know, not only did we try to buy the best produce or meats and seafood and we could buy, but then from there, we just had to make sure that the dish hit on all levels, um, you know, of you know does it have some sort of heat you know Jean Georges and um you know a lot of his restaurants have that element of spice and flavor where you know some type of you know other restaurants that I've eaten that sort of fall flat there um you know that adds the sex as he used to call it um and that's something that I think we still try to do at Jean Georges or uh, at <laughs> at Speedy Romeo is to um you know have a little bit of heat in each dish you know a little spice either You know from straight up black pepper Cracked over the dish right before it goes out Or um, you know we have Pickled chilies that we uh, Use often that was a big JG thing Um, You know so also Chili flake makes a lot of appearances Where you don't expect it Um, But you know for me when At Perry Street it was just how can I just make sure The food tastes fantastic And it is um, You know Hitting on all those levels of flavor that I'd learned From jean George. When it
3: comes to flavor of your current restaurants, your food is heavily focused on fire, smoke, uh, bringing the elements of that uh, of that environment into the actual dish. So I know you grew up in Kansas City, home of some really great barbecue that people associate with uh, with that city. Uh, I once waited in line at Arthur Bryant's for a really long time. I don't know if that's like the place that locals go, but I, w- I was not disappointed. Uh Is it a coincidence that you're from Kansas City and that you are now really into adding that smoky element to your food? Like, did you grow up eating a ton of smoky barbecue and that's something that you've kind of carried with you?
4: I mean, I feel that's I never thought of it that way, but I I do believe that that is a that's definitely where the heart of it came from, I think, because we you know, not only did I eat a lot of. (sighs) barbecue. I mean, that was kind of like our go-to at, um, as soon as we'd get out of high school, we'd cruise down to this place called Gates, which was just like a cut, like a mile away from our high school. And you know, it's, it's funny now that I've go back and visit Kansas city and I'm driving through like Kansas city at say nighttime. It's funny. You can see the smokestacks like all around and you could smell the wood fire as you drive through of all these different barbecue places that are around town um you know and not until recently had i noticed that but you know my dad would also barbecue a lot when we'd you know we have a house in lake of the ozarks missouri and so we'd always go there um in the summer and always we're grilling out you know always had that sort of char um on our food you know we would do these big fajita dinners we would always cook ribs and so you know i i missed it a lot when i worked at john george and um when i left working for john george I started working at Romans and, um, Romans in Fort green. And a lot of the reason that I wanted to work there was cause I, I, I was eating there like three or four times a week. You know, I had left John George. I was kind of starting to create the idea of how to make a restaurant, how to open my own spot, what that concept was going to be. But I was eating at Romans and I was so intimidated by their flavor profile of the food and what they were doing that I, I, I couldn't understand it, you know, And so I'd asked the chef Dave if I could work there. He's like, why do you want to work here? (laughs) You know, like you've traveled the world. I don't understand this at all. And I told him, I'm like, dude, I'm intimidated by this food. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And he's like, all right, well, that's fine. You can come and work. I'd, I'd like to put you on the oven station. I said, cool. And they don't advertise that they have any wood burning elements at that restaurant. And so when I walked in the kitchen for the first time, uh, he put me on the on the oven station, which was a wood-burning oven. And so, you know, I'd done a little wood-burning work at the John George Steakhouse at the Aria uh, Casino in Las Vegas when I opened that, and they had the J&R grill that we use at Speedy. And so I fell in love with that, and then now when I hit this oven station at Roman's, then that's when sort of this, like, this, like, extra element of flavor was added, and I understood that, that it was just like, this is what this is why this food is so special to me and why I don't understand it. But I mean, that was kind of just like the, you know, the door was unlocked and um, I ran with it from there. Tell us about that grill a little bit. So
3: use a specific brand and you fell in love with it. Why did you like it and what is the what is the actual kind of setup of it? Is it like offset wood? Is it a dome? Is it a wood from underneath? Like just kind of explain like how you get the fire going and then where are you cooking the actual food?
4: Okay. So we, uh, we use a grill manufactured, well produced by J and R manufacturing. They're out of Texas. And I'd first seen this, I'd first seen this, uh, this grill at that John George steakhouse, uh, I opened in Las Vegas and You know, the steaks coming off of that, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I was just, like, the the char we were getting, the heat it was producing, um, the flavor, the smokiness, and um, just that was added to the meat was just, like, it blew my mind. Um, And so also just the the physical look of this thing. I mean, it's like a tank. It's, like, you know, that, like, kind of not corrugated, but that, like, um, that, like, diamond hatched steel you know it's like cased it's on wheels um it has a giant wheel on the side that you can crank to raise the um the section of the grill uh that holds the grates um and from there all you do it has a little door you know so you open it up it's basically cinder block like casing it has that steel wrapped around it the grill grates sit on top of that box uh as mentioned you can raise it from that side wheel Um, So we just start a fire directly in the center, like a campfire. Um, You know, we make a teepee, we use small logs with big logs on top, we throw one piece of paper underneath there, light it with a propane torch, um, get that piece of paper lit, and then that'll, you know, basically stay lit for the whole day. What Um, type of wood do you use? We use a mix of hardwoods, it's mostly oak, a lot of white oak, Uh, you know, kind of, we don't exactly know what we get, but... For the oven, we use thin logs, and for the grill, we use larger pieces so that they produce more coal um, and sort of keep a an, a glowing ember underneath. And then when we need some extra heat, then we'll throw a log just on top. So, you know, we find that we almost treat it as like a French top. You know, so imagine you're at a, you know, you have a French top. Uh, in the center, you have that, that little ring You know that circle where it's the hottest spot right there and then everywhere around it sort of cools off so we basically use it in that in exact same sense which is funny because you know that's what i used at john george for so long but so right in the center is where we're gonna where it's hottest and we just have the flame just sort of like tickle through the grates and right there is where we do all our searing so our burgers our meats our uh what else do we do there um dry-edged bone and ribeye we have, so we get a good sear on it and then move it off to the side to continue the cooking. We have a whole bronzino, we have a half chicken that's deboned, so all of that type of work we do just offset that hot flame so that we're not getting real char, but we're getting more of like a smoke um, and sort of browning of those meats, but like the skin on the fish gets crispy, uh, the chicken skin gets super crisp, but you know it's uh, you know to I guess to answer the question it's sort of treated as like a French top so just hottest in the center and then it cools off as it gets Part of part of cooking on fire is just, experience, right?
3: You have to have a feel for it. It's not as much like pan pickups with timers and you can't really regulate a gas knob and say like, look, you're going to start the pan with uh, you know, a tablespoon of butter and it's going to be on low heat. It's like, you really have to get a feel for it, right? So how are you able to convey that to the team in your kitchen, uh, do you just hire people that have worked with wood before, or is there sort of a process of them shadowing someone who's working grill so that they can get comfortable, uh, picking up, picking up, you know, a bone in ribeye over, over wood fire, which is like, not only are you cooking, but then you also have to, it's your job to regulate that temperature right over the course of service, which is really hard
4: right it's it's not easy it's definitely been something we've sort of passed down through the ages if you will but it's like um you know it's it basically all comes to just a teepee i like to train the guys or Um, the people work in the grill station that it's just, if we keep a teepee underneath that grill of wood, that's just kind of keeps laying itself. You know, the next log keeps laying on the next log to keep a crosshatch effect. And if we just have a small, subtle flame coming out of the middle, then we know we're good. We know that we've achieved all that heat around there. Um, you know, for the oven, when we learned to use the oven, we use the laser thermometer to kind of judge, okay, how hot is this floor? Um, we never really use that on the grill at all, but I mean, you could to, to help start you, uh, to, you know, to start learning the temperatures of the grates. But when it comes to the meats and things we're putting on there, it's a lot of just temperature feel, um, not temperature and feel, but more um what it looks like. You know, so if we see that we're getting a good char then okay, we've um you know, we know that side is cooked, and so let just like flip it over, do the same thing to that side, and then you know, I like to teach the grill cooks that in terms of meats, learn how to prepare a perfect medium rare, do that the same way every time, and then every after that then it's just cooking the meat longer, you know. So that's been best for our training. I wanna jump back Pretty
3: far in your history, which is take me all the way back to culinary school. How did you end up making that decision? You did. You started at a like a more traditional college in Arizona. Did you finish there and then go to culinary school? Did you kind of decide like that wasn't for you and jump to culinary? Like what what happened with that?
4: Exactly. I went to Arizona State University and I chose to go into the uh, the School of Architecture for Industrial Design. So I wanted to be an architect. My high school administrator said, I think industrial design would be better for you. I think you're more suited for that. I said, All right, cool, you know, <laughs> whatever you say and um, you know, I, I definitely chose Arizona because of its um I hate to say I don't think I really studied the uh dove into the um you know, the curriculum so well. I, I definitely was you dove
3: into some pools in 100 degree <laughs> weather for
4: a couple I months? I most definitely did that. I uh, f- uh, I think I definitely went there for the extracurricular activities for sure. Um, you know, and you know, I, I did pretty well in school, but I you know, just the hardest part was going to class. Um, when I did go to class, I did well. And I I found I worked well under pressure. Of course, I procrastinated all these projects to the very end. And I got them done. And all the teachers were like, well, this would have been great if you would have spent more time on it. But it's an incredible idea. But, you know, I said, okay, great. So at that time, Food Network came out. And so, you know, when we'd not be going to class, we'd be hanging out at my buddy's place, we'd be we'd be watching Food Network, you know, watching Emerald, fucking bam, you know, doing all that. And, and we would get all excited. And, um, you know, it was almost, uh, I, I don't know, and we would, we would play around at home and, and cook. And, you know, but what I realized is that the restaurant industry sort of has all these things that I was interested in. And after, you know, doing sophomore year twice, I was just like, all right, this is enough. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. And, Um, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do and I'd studied art. I'd done painting. I'd done all these things. I'd done pottery. And so, you know, I realized that the restaurant industry encompasses all these things that I enjoy, you know, the architecture of the space, the interior design, uh, the layout, the industrial design of the furniture and plateware, if you will, um, the artistic, uh, ability to create a dish, the sense of urgency needed to work well under pressure, uh, which was something that I sort of thrived on. And it turned out that I realized this when I'd gotten a job at this place called Pita jungle in Arizona. And it was like this sort of like hippie kind of, um, like, I mean, we made many a chicken shawarma there. That's where I learned the word shawarma as you so know. Um, some sprout wraps and
3: hummus (laughs) wraps and things like that.
4: Yeah. Some Tempe burgers. Um, and, uh, you know, but it was just like I—they threw me right on the line. I had no experience. The manager asked me, "Have you ever cooked before?" I said, "I've cooked at home." He's like, "Okay, great." Threw me in. It was the most disorganized kitchen. Um, when the tickets would come in, you would put a tear or a fold on the ticket, and then you would produce every dish on that. So on that ticket. So if it was just like something off the grill, something off the pizza station, something off the garnage, you would run around the kitchen and produce all that food and put all that food into the window where the dude right behind you is waiting to get on the grill because he's ready to cook his, you know, it was just chaos. And so I real, but I mean, I, I loved it. I love the pressure. I love the camaraderie of the kitchen. You know, I'd sort of landed, if you will, of like, this is for me. And, um, you know, I'd worked in a couple of restaurants in Arizona after that. I, I, uh, was introduced to this woman who owned this Belgian bistro in Texas, the small town in Texas. And so it was a good idea for me to sort of get out of Arizona at the time. And so I went to this small town. I learned a lot. I met this woman. We I worked for her for a, a, a weekend and she ex, she she was French uh, taught. And so she taught me Bernays sauce. She taught me all these like mother sauces that I was like enamored by. And the big kicker is that she showed me the Jean-Georges cookbook for the first time cooking at home with a four star chef. And so it was like central park and, uh, photos of the interior of the kitchen and these copper pots and the, you know, the cloches and like, I mean, I was, it was like another world for me. I'd never really dined like that ever. Um, and so she really opened my eyes to like the world of food. And so with that, uh, You know, it turns out that the girl I was dating in Texas moved to Brooklyn. Um, I decided to try to go to the the CIA. Uh, When I went to the CIA, I was like, this is... I don't want to do two years of school. And so I visited the French Culinary Institute. And that day I visited the French Culinary Institute, the career services director said, hey, Jacques Pepin is doing a demonstration today in the auditorium. Do you want to check that out? I'm like, most definitely, you know, so... I went up there and Jacques Pepin was doing this uh, demonstration on like how to prepare a dinner party with one duck, you know, so he did like three courses with one duck. And I mean, I was just like, I was, it was done for me. Like I was in Soho. It was a six month program. Um, You know, it was like dream come true for. For me to move here, I just moved in with her and the the girl I was dating in Brooklyn at the time, and um, you know from from there it was just sort of off to the races. And once I started culinary school, I asked for the the phone number to Jean George, and they gave it to me at the career service desk. I called like my second week in. It was the direct kitchen direct kitchen line. Um, Greg Branan answered the phone, who's now Jean George's like. You know, right hand man, he does all the recipes for all the restaurants and he'd answer the phone. He was the sous chef at the time. Um, you know, and I don't know if you want me to go further, but I mean, that's kind of where it all started. I mean, that was like my, I got my foot in the door. I peeled garlic for three days straight, I think. Um, you know, funny enough, I quit right then. I like, I did three days there uh, and I couldn't do it. I was working, I was going to school five days a week, Monday through Friday. I was working at Dean and Deluca four nights a week after culinary school, so I would walk up Broadway, go to go to Dean and Deluca to work, um, and then the other three days I was off. Uh, I'd go to Jean George and do like a twelve-hour day almost at Jean George, and so I was just like, "This is ridiculous!" Like I'm not, you're dying. Yeah. I'm not doing this, you know. Uh,
3: we're gonna take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're gonna start talking more about Jean George and uh, how you kind of rose up the ranks after working there for a while. Uh, stick with us here on Heritage
1: Radio. Welcome back
3: to The Line here on Heritage Radio. My guest today is Justin Bazderick. He is the co-owner and chef of Speedy Romeo with two locations, one in Brooklyn and one in Manhattan. Uh, we were just talking before the break about how he went to FCI, and he was working an incredible amount at Dean DeLuca as well as at John George and going to school, and you quit. And I'm curious, you had to obviously come back because you ended up being – a CDC in the restaurant group and running a restaurant and then traveling around the world for him. So kind of take us a little bit just at the start. How did you come back to the Jean-Georges restaurant group? How long did you work in that specific restaurant? And you became a sous chef there. How did that kind of come to be?
4: So after – so I'd left. I'd, I'd called them. I mean I did them the <laughs> courtesy of calling them to tell them I wasn't coming back. And you know they didn't even say a word. They were just – like, I think they hung up the phone. Um, but, uh, I finished culinary school and when I finished culinary school, I have always lived in Brooklyn ever since I moved here in 2001 and I was walking around and there was this cute girl like standing outside this little Brooklyn restaurant, like changing the menu board. And I was like, Oh, hi, hi. Uh, you know, I'm looking for, and I basically went to work there just because this, uh, there was a this cute girl working at this restaurant, you know, and that was strictly the reason. And, you know, I got hired. turns out she had a boyfriend, (laughs) you know, I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? Um, but this guy, he, uh, he used to work at LaBerna Den who owned this restaurant. It was called the Minnow. Um, his name was Aaron and he, uh, he was shorter dude. And the the prep kitchen in that restaurant was like the there was beams that were like five nine, and so I'm six four. Yeah, you're and, a big guy. <laughs> and so I, you know, he was like five two, and he would run through this like underground kitchen, you know, like fucking breaking my balls, you know, like what are you doing? I'm, you know, like come on, get get your station set up, and like I'd be all hung over and just be like, oh, you know, and like ducking, you know, like prepping with like my head bent over. And, um, you know, it was just an awful experience and I just missed like John George and I could like smell the truffle juice from like the, you know, the house, um, from the house vinaigrette at, at, uh, at John George. And I was just like, what am I doing here? And so I went to work or, uh, I went to this bar called Toad Hall one day and that's where all the kids from culinary school would go to drink after school. And so, I was in there, and uh, these three guys walk in. I'm like, man, these guys look familiar. And uh, one of them comes up to me, who's Greg Gorday, actually. He's, you know, big-time chef out in Portland. He was on Top Chef. And um, he came up to me, and he's like, hey, were you... Can I ask you a question? Could, were you at uh, at jean George for, like, three days, just peeling garlic the whole time? And I'm like, yeah, I was. He's like, man, we still talk about that. Like, no one's ever done that much garlic at the restaurant before. And so I was like, oh, my God. So... You know, so it was, like, perfect timing, uh, and I had said, I was just like, hey, what's going on over there? Are you guys hiring? And he said, yeah, actually, um, Gabriel Crutier was the chef at the time when I trailed there, and they said he left, and so Greg Branan has taken over as chef de cuisine with this guy, um, um, uh, I forget his name. Um, anyway, so so Greg Brannan was take had taken over. Greg was over.
3: the guy that answered the phone the first time? That was the guy that okay. answered the phone okay. the
4: first time, right, so... So I'm like, okay. So I called the next day. Um, they said they were hiring. So I went up there. You know, Classically at that time, I was like almost up all night drinking the night before. And like, you know, foolishly, like I'm like shaking in my boots. I'd never been so scared, like just so anxious to trail at this restaurant. And, you know, it's just like I, <laughs> oh God, I walked in there and the, like the guy, I mean, I think I looked like, um oh, I shouldn't say it. I um, you looked bad. I looked bad. Yeah. Anyway, and the, you know, Greg Brain was like, "Dude, are you okay? You need a glass of water." And I'm like, "Oh yeah." And like, luckily, I pulled it together. You know, put together this trail for the, um, for the shift. Uh, and they hired me from there, and they hired me into the nougatine kitchen. And so, um, so I started working lunch shift in the nougatine. All I was, all I had to do was prepare the. Um, the proteins. So it was like they had the $20 lunch all the, all year round up there. And so, you know, it sort of took me all the way through the progression of my whole career at John George took me through every progression of how to own your own restaurant one day. Um, and from there, it was just, you know, like first I, you know, I peeled garlic. Um, you know, second, I learned how to prepare these like simple recipes that they would, have me, um, you know, sort of execute. And then I also had to work the line. And I all I all I had to do was focus on cooking protein. I didn't really have to worry about putting the dish together too much because then my partner, he he would produce all the the sides and veg for these dishes. And so, you know, I basically just learned how to cook protein. You know, they funny enough, they were just like I kept, you know, still to the day, I try to live by the motto of like, how do I make it better tomorrow than I than it was today. How do I do better tomorrow than, um, than I did today? And, you know, I just stuck with that sort of mantra forever, you know, and I, um, you know, from there they took me up into the upstairs dining room. Uh, so I was in the Nougatine cafe to start from there. I went up into the four star, uh, dining room and, um, you know, I worked daytime, but I worked every station in that kitchen. Um, you know, from there, then working daytime, I learned how to produce the recipes cause I prepped the food for the night guys. I also did service. Um, and then from there, then they made me, uh, they brought me on to, uh, PM Saucier, which was one of the hardest stations at the restaurant. Um, and then after doing that for a while, then they made me sous chef. So was it a classic kitchen?
3: like yelling, throwing, it was, was it in the style of sort of like that old school intimidating, we're going to kind of beat you down and then build you back up or what was the vibe in there and how did that kind of shape you as a young guy? Maybe not fully super serious yet with like digging in until you kind of got to Jean George.
4: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't so, it was a little aggressive. Um, it was definitely, you had to earn your rank earn your rank. You know, there wasn't at that time working there, there wasn't so many systems set up to really like succeed. Like you kind of had to do it on your own. Like you had to come in, check your own station, make your own list, produce the food you needed. They would come around and taste it around uh, service time, which was like when I was working that, f- that first time up in that upstairs kitchen and Greg Brannon would come in, he, his shift was to start at noon. And the first thing he would do would walk on the line, and man, I would see that dude come in the kitchen and I would just like shudder like, oh my God, this guy's going to tear me up again. And he would come over to my station, start tasting everything and be like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck? You know, like, you know, I mean, he would be like, what, you know, do the right thing. He just kept telling me, just do the right thing. I mean, I would just like, you know, f- such foolish things of just like trying to shortcut things, but like, you know, like the what's really, an example of that, like what is something like that
3: you come over things. and say, like, that's totally wrong. Did you know that it was, you were trying to cut corners? So like, what does that
4: mean? There really? was, there was times where I was definitely cutting corners. There was one soup that we had to prepare that was just like, we would have all these aromatic vegetables in the broth or which, which we had to boil for a long time. And then all these thinly cut vegetables and herbs would then have to go into that soup and steep covered, Um, and then from there you had this beautiful aromatic broth that was like this, the base of a vegetable, um, soup. And so I was just like, (laughs) I know I needed to produce a new batch, but I was just like, oh, well, I don't want to and had been in the walk-in for like two days. And I'm sure I could have used it and it would have been fine. But I was like, you know what, like, I better bring this up to a boil because maybe it'll get someone sick because it's been around for two days. So I had no idea what I was doing. And so I put that soup into a pot and just boiled it and then put it back away. So this like beautifully steeped, like broth, I just boiled for a long time. And then, you know, and he tasted it and it was just bitter and like acrid and like, you know, asking me, like, what did you do? How did you prepare this? You know, and I'm like, well, I just followed the recipe, you know, so just lying and like, you know, trying to pull a fast one and, um, you know, but what I realized and where I, my career started to elevate was when I just, like, I took this dude's lead, you know, like, I was just like, okay, I'm gonna, like, try to work my way underneath this guy's wing and just learn everything I can from him so that I'm gonna be the best, because he's obviously the best here, so I wanna be the best cook I can be. So I'm just going to do whatever he says and follow his lead. Um, You know, one thing that always rang very true to me, and I still remember it was uh, when I was in culinary school, this guy came from the CIA, and he talked to us about the front of the house and service. And one thing he said is, he he said, you'll only amount to those around you. And so I sort of took that to heart from a very young, er, er, very early in the career. And you know, that's a big reason why I stayed with Greg, why I stayed with jean George for nine years because I knew that if I stayed with one person that was extremely successful and I learned as much as I could from them, then one day I think I could be as successful as them. It's such a
3: sprawling organization. I don't even know how many restaurants are contained. And obviously you went many years prior, you had opened up that cookbook. Do you remember the first time that you met John George? And was it in, were you cooking at that time or was it like did you see him in the dining room or something like that? What, what was that like when you thought to yourself, I sort of came here because I saw this mythical chef in a cookbook and then you, do you see him face to face and you're working for him? What's that like?
4: Yeah, that was, I mean, uh, the, the first time I'd ever shaken his hand was at the, uh, when I was peeling the garlic. I mean, I was back there and he just, you know, it was, I was kind of back in the, in the dregs, you know, not really in the prep kitchen, like during this, during service. And he just walked by me and just stuck his hand out, said, hello. Um, you know, and I was just like, Justin, you know, and he's like, you know, hello. And then he he bolted, you know? And, you know, f- funny enough, there was just like, it, <laughs> there use, there was this place called, um, you know, when I was working, I would, I would go out downtown a lot. And, um, Sub-Mercer. Did you ever go to Submercer? It was like a, a club, this underground club underneath Mercer Kitchen. And so funny enough, I'd gotten in there um, like the doorman, and I had the same name, and it was really hard to get in. But um, I was able to get in, and I was I was going there often. And one day I'm just standing there. And this is when I was a line cook at John George, and I was like right – I'm standing at the bar getting a drink, and John George comes up right next to me, and he's like, Hey. You know, I'm like, well, hey, chef, you know, he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm just I'm uh, having some drinks, you know, and like it uh, like we hung out that night and like, I don't know if he wanted me around him or not, but he allowed me to be. And, you know, he's got all his high profile friends with him and like, um, you know, and funny enough, it's like there's this area in Submerser that had like a pole, like a dancing pole and I remember this, like, you know, we were all partying and I got... And, like, I'd, like, latched onto the pole and started dancing on the pole. And, like, still to the day, he never forgets that. He's just like, <laughs> oh, man, you fucking dancing on the pole, you know? Um, oh, gosh. And, but it was just like... but But so I thought I was in after that night. I thought this... Oh, man, I've made it. Like, this guy is, like, my best friend now. And the weekend after or after the weekend, like my first day back at work, I see him walk in and I'm just like watching him come towards me, you know? And it was just like, almost like, you know, get the fuck back to work, man. Like, I don't, we're not here. (laughs) We're not best buddies now (laughs) just because we hung out one night. Um, Yeah. What what happened down there does not extend into the kitchen. Right, right, right. um, Uh, and,
3: And so when you, when you rise in the ranks and you start to obviously, you know, earn the trust of the organization and you get the opportunity to, to be sort of the lead on a restaurant and you are traveling around the world being like the chef trainer, what do you think are some of the most important pieces of that that you have taken front to speedy Romeo from maybe either organizational standpoint or just leadership? Like what did you, you spent nine years there, which is quite a long time to be in one operation. People usually jump around every single year. So like what are some of the big takeaways of being, in the, the JG operation before you went and decided to do your own thing?
4: You know, as mentioned, the best part about working for one guy for nine years was that, you know, I was able to learn every aspect of, um, you know, restaurant ownership, if you will. Um, you know, in terms of, you know, to, to answer your question in terms of, like the biggest part about the traveling and the best part about the management was that I'd worked with, every type of personality around the world, you know, like the super proud Turks with like flying dishes and like tears and hugs. And, you know, like, I mean, it was a roller coaster, but it was just like, you know, it was just passion that I was seeing there. And, um, you know, when I worked in Qatar, that was like the United Nations of a kitchen. I mean, they had, um, I mean, it was almost like all kids working there and it was just, I mean, there was kids from Korea, Japan, India, Bangladesh, Mexico, um, Russia, all the Eastern European company, or, uh, countries. Um, I mean, it was Thailand. I mean, it was madness. I mean, and uh, you know, it was. But I think one thing that I found v- what really helped me in learning that is w- one personality, just how to be sort of humble. I could learn from everyone. Um, I can teach through food, and that was basically, with that language barrier, I've learned that, you know, it's about what people see you do, and not what they hear you tell them to do. Um, You know, I feel like sometimes trying to teach people, like, just philosophy and whatever, while you're doing the work, they tend to get, you know, diluted, and they don't exactly... Uh, remember what you've shown them. So I just try to keep, you know, these days when I try to train someone like my verbal to a minimal, you know, it's just like, you know, flip it, season it, you know, I mean, it's just like simple, but I mean, I'll, I'll like point to things to be like, see that, see that, you know, it's just very, um, very visual and training. And that was based on language barrier. But, you know, it's like, with the nine years I worked with jean George, I, I was convinced that I was going to create some molecular gastronomical fantasy if I were to ever to open my own restaurant one day. But as I stayed with jean George for so long, I noticed that, you know, he started opening places like ABC Kitchen. Um, and a lot of these restaurants around the world we'd opened were sort of, you know, everyday um, hotel food. And, you know, one thing he told me when we were out at one of these incredible, like, gastronomical fantasy uh, tasting menu things that people were trying to impress John George is that, you know, we weren't very impressed. And he said to me and to the table, he's like, culinary genius isn't going to pay the bills. You know, the restaurant is a is a business and it needs to be treated like that. And you need to think, um, you know, in that sense. And that was very, like, that was, you know, a huge one that I'll never forget. And that's, you know, I think why Speedy Romeo is what it is because it's, it's not pretentious. It's, you know, it's everyday food. I've created a menu that people can, you know, sort of choose your own adventure, if you will, you know, to come and have a pizza and a beer after work or come back with your, um, you know, wife, girlfriend, friends, and family, um, you know, have two or three courses, a couple of bottles of wine and, you know, have a nice steak and, um, something different. But, um, you know, for me it was just having to make something unpretentious that people understood and would want to be able to eat more than once a week and crave, you know.
3: You linked up with Todd Feldman to open Speedy Romeo. He's one of your best friends from back in the day, right? Correct. So, uh when you made the decision to to open Speedy Romeo, uh had he had any restaurant experience? or were you kind of the restaurant guy and he was the business guy? Like, how did the how did the roles fill and did you have a big discussion about how that would work beforehand or were you just like two buddies and you guys had a dream?
4: Pretty much two buddies and a dream. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, it, it all came from, uh, I met Todd in, at Arizona State University. We were, um, he lived across the dorm from one of my best friends, Chris, who I grew up in Kansas City with and uh he you know we we became roommates we became great friends and you know funny enough it's like oddly like the two of us laying in our underwear watching like movies we'd already seen in college you know I was just like this dude's gonna be a success someday I'm gonna stick with this guy I have no idea why I, I thought that at the time but it's funny and now we're both business partners and successful um but uh you know, it was not until he was in casting, and out of college, he lived in L.A., um, he worked for CAA, he came back to New York to do casting uh, for Grant Wilfie. and um, from there, he uh, decided to open his own company, but, you know, so I was cooking in New York, he was back doing casting, um, and from there, he told me, did you know my parents own this this racehorse named Speedy Romeo? I said, no, man, that's a, you know, that's a cool name. He's like, wouldn't that be a cool bar? I said, yeah, that's a great name for a bar. He said, yeah, my parents had this picture of Speedy Romeo. And it was just like a bust of the horse in my den of my basement. And I just would look at it every day when I was watching TV. And wouldn't it be cool to have that picture above a register and it just be a dark dive bar and like, who wouldn't want to go have cocktails at Speedy Romeo? And I was just like, wow, man, that's a great idea. And so you know, so when I was working at Romans and started to kind of push the uh, the idea of opening a place, I started looking for locations um, near Fort Greene because that's where I'd lived, and I just kind of went further into Bed Stuy because uh, I knew that's the way the um, you know I knew that was the way the wave was was flowing, um, and I found this location which was in an automotive parts store. And so I was just like, man, this could be, you know, I wonder if Todd would want to go in. We talked about opening a bar, but I mean, that was just a fantasy, but I wonder if he'd be interested in going in on a restaurant. And so, you know, so from there, sort of with his like, um, casting background, I was just like, well, he could do the front of the house. I could do the back of the house. And then that'll be kind of like, he could be the host with the most, you know, and I'll just do the cooking. Um, and we'll go from there. Um. And, uh, you know, we sort of, you know, funny enough, we, like, we got some cash from, um, his mom, um, to, you know, I put together a business plan, which I can't believe I did. Um, (laughs) I mean, and like, I hit the numbers, like year one, we hit the numbers that I'd projected. Like, I just, I think I'd got business plans for dummies, the book, and I used that to, to make this thing. Um, but, uh, and I'd brought, we'd brought his parents to Roberta's to show them like, Hey, you can open a place in Brooklyn. And, you know, cause at the time in Bed-Stuy where we put that first spot, it was a little, it was a little shady, you know I mean? It was just like off the beaten path. People called us pioneers for putting that down there. And, um, you know, now it's just crushing. So, um, but I mean, that was sort of the idea that we would think that, you know, I do the cooking, Todd would do the front of house and, you know, it sort of quickly became more than we could absorb, especially for Todd in that sense where, you know, he had zero restaurant experience. His mom owns a diner in New Jersey, but like, you know, um, he didn't really have any experience. And so we sort of realized that, okay, we need help sort of quickly here because this is growing faster than we can, um, we can take on on our own. And so, you know, my dad came along with some, um, you know, a lot of business background to help us out with the books and the financing and the, you know, accounts receivable and all that. And, um, you know, put some practices in place for us. And, you know, he basically became a partner uh, at that point. And, um, you know, Todd, we we hired a general manager to help with service. And then we, um, you know, I stayed with the cooking. And then, Uh, you know, Todd went on to, you know, he went, his casting got busy. So he, you know, with the company he has, so he went back to that. So, um, you know, but it was just, it was a lot of just kind of, you know, the, that photo of the horse was kind of a lot of the inspiration to, to put together what we did. And, um, you know, with the automotive space fitting the sort of like speedy theme and then Romeo with the Italian, uh, food and pizza we wanted to do. It was just kind of like, well, this, this fits perfectly. So we ran with it.
3: You have two locations now and you mentioned briefly right before we went on air that you're working on a, a third restaurant, a different concept. Would love to hear briefly if you can share anything about the, the third concept. And also, uh, if you can quickly share where your head is at in terms of, going from one to two to three locations now you're getting in this realm where you can't be at the restaurant every single day all the time uh and uh how does that make you feel as you kind of expand your uh your growing restaurant group
4: um anxious <laughs> uh you know it's 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 you know a funny thing that i've learned and now that i'm 40, um, you know, is to kind of treat anxiety as excitement, you know, to sort of flip any nervousness to like, let's kick ass, you know, let's, you know, I don't turn this like kind of negative feeling, which is very similar to excitement into, you know, let's do this. And so, um, you know, that's sort of how I'm treating this new restaurant, but, um, you know, to be able to do a third restaurant, that's a new concept. Um, you know, I'm, I, I rely on a great team. You know, I have great managers at both restaurants. I have great chefs at both restaurants right now. Um, I have to, uh, trust in what they do. You know, I have to kind of give it up to let them do it. Um, you know, I've sort of put all the, legwork in place. And, you know, we have lots of systems that help us do what we do on a daily basis. Um, you know, we have recipes that are written very clearly. I, I, pride in that, that I think what I put down on paper is simple to follow. Um, I think that comes with the years of training, which on George to make sure that the things that are read are very clear with the least amount of words. So that allows our recipes to come through and be consistent. Um, but You know, in the meantime of coming up into this third restaurant, it's like I have to spend a lot of time at both speedies to make sure that I could just do as much as I can to get them up to speed. But, um, you know, this third restaurant is going to be a Mexican concept. Um, We are. This is a break, man. This is live breakthrough right here. This is hot off the press. You're the only people to know this. But um, we're going to call it Oshomoko. And so that's spelled O X O M O C O, and that is based on the, um, you know, the goddess of night, um, the Aztec goddess of night, Uh, and you know, it's funny with a name like Speedy Romeo that was just like such a home run. We've tried so hard to like, you know, funny enough now it's, you know, that the my friend Chris who lived across the dorm hallway from Todd is going to be my business partner on this new project. So it's funny how this is all tying together and he has a lot, you know, he has a lot of commercial real estate and, um, construction background. And so, you know, it's sort of like a good, uh, a new meat and potatoes, um, business, uh, business relationship that we have. And so, um, you know, so it's in Greenpoint. Um, it is. Uh, 128 Greenpoint between Franklin and Manhattan. Um, There's an old space that was an old plumbing supply, so it's a one-story building. There's nothing above us. Uh, We just put in these three beautiful skylights in the place that were already existing. We just had to put in new lights. Um, But it's offset off the street, so we're going to have some outdoor seating in the front. Um, And so basically where we were the menu is going to fit the same format as Speedy Romeo. So Speedy Romeo has pizzas as the anchor, um, where Oshimoka will have, um, tacos as the anchor. We're going to have appetizers, same thing. Um, then the tacos, then some large format items and then dessert. And so, uh, so with that, we're just kind of staying in the same format as what we've done. And that's what's, and what's worked with Speedy Romeo. So, um, You know, it's going to be wood fired. We're going to have two of those grills I spoke of, those J&R Manufacturing grills. So we're going to have nine feet of grill space, um, with two wheels to, you know, lots of marinated meats. um, You know, thinking in the way of like, if you had a trombo of like pork for a pastor, you know, we're going to marinate meats in the similar way. But then instead of cooking it in a vertical fashion, we're going to grill them off, char them on the wood burning grill chop them up, put them onto tortillas that we're going to make fresh, um, season them, uh, you know, with their own unique, uh, salsas, accompaniments, if you will. Um, and, uh, and that's that. Yeah. I mean, we have a beautiful open air space. Um, we're going to just kind of light it up with tons of, um, you know, natural light as mentioned, a lot of, uh, greenery, um, just kind of make it a little more like speedy kind of has a masculine vibe with its interiors where we're going to treat this as in in the opposite and kind of take the feminine route. And, you know, seeing that it's named after the Aztec goddess, um, it's sort of like the first female on the planet was Oshimoko. And so, um, you know, we're just kind of going to celebrate that and have fun. So sounds awesome. Uh, can't wait to see
3: it. Is it target
4: 2018? 2018, early. Yeah, we're looking at um, April, uh, March, April. Um, so things are going good right now. and uh, Obviously, the hiccups will come because they always do. And, uh, you know, we'll just have to be open to that. So Two speedies and a new Mexican
3: concept on the way. Chef, thank you so much for joining us here on The Line on Heritage Radio. We'll see you next Tuesday at 11 a.m. for a brand new episode.